0: O Lord, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence?
1: If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn or settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast.
0: If I say,
1: you.
2: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death.
1: For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful humanity.
0: I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us.
1: For we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies."
0: For in this hope, we were saved.
1: But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But we hope for what we do not have. We wait for it patiently.
2: Uh, This morning we pick up our reading uh, through the book of Genesis, uh, this morning, Genesis chapter 28, beginning at verse 10. Listen then for the voice of God. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I'm with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and he set it uh, as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. I never knew my place. I didn't know where I was from. Born in California, we moved to Illinois and then to Michigan before I knew anything of it. My father was a history professor and he went from the University of Michigan to Michigan State University, so we moved from Ann Arbor to East Lansing. He eventually wanted to teach in a Christian liberal arts college, so we moved to Orange City, Iowa. I started college in Michigan and was told to work out my identity crisis at a different institution. I moved again. And eventually I served an internship in Roseland where as much as anywhere, I found my place. Since then, I've lived in Michigan and New York, but today, at 60, if asked, I'm from South Chicagoland. My sense of place, my sweet home is Chicago. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you, But I think place matters. Place can provide a sort of psychic peace. When the world is in tumult, when life feels topsy-turvy, there is something settling about knowing your place, knowing where you fit. There's a sense of rooting or commitment I care about the land underfoot in my backyard. I care about the safety and stability of a neighborhood. I care about this faith community, our life together, and our future. Because eventually, if you're lucky, you settle in and say, I'm going to invest in and fight for this plot of land, this block. This city, these institutions, this church, this place. Modern American life mitigates against a sense of place. When every street has a Target, an Applebee's, and a Bed Bath & Beyond when Amazon trucks buzz every block, when the landscape is sculpted by corporations, when every place feels like no place or the same place, and everyone is from everywhere or nowhere, given that rootlessness, it's hard to know a commitment to place. Willie James Jennings puts it this way, Living as we do now, on the other side of colonialism and capitalism and nationalism, we function with a hollowed-out sense of place that has turned the earth into a series of commodified spaces, each with only whatever meaning and significance we superimpose on it. For too many of us, place is simply a projection of meaning onto spaces. That may seem overstated. That may not be your experience and you, in fact, feel connected to a place. But I think that spirit of rootlessness and homelessness is endemic to contemporary life and has implications for how we understand place and the presence of God. And place matters In this morning's text. So consider we pick up Jacob after he swindled his brother and conspired with his mother to trick his father, who has now sent him to find an acceptable bride. We pick up Jacob as a transient scoundrel, stripped of all pretense, place, or piety, alone in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere between a rock and a hard place. And then when he lays down to sleep, God breaks in. Unbidden, unmanaged. God intrudes. God sneaks up when Jacob's not in control. He doesn't track him down as a seeker in a sanctuary or find him in the fellowship of the faithful. He doesn't come at Jacob's behest. Rather, God interrupts when Jacob is sound asleep, as Kathleen Norris puts it. God's response to finding Jacob vulnerable, sleeping all alone in open country, is not to strike him down for his sins, but to give him a blessing. God comes to Jacob in a dream and props up a ladder. A little aside. That ladder was probably more like a ramp. Mesopotamian ziggurats were huge, layered, landmass temples, oftentimes with steps leading to the next level, and they were believed to connect heaven and earth and be the dwelling place of the gods. And chances are that the Tower of Babel was one of these ziggurats. And chances are that Jacob's dream was of something similar. And Jacob sees angels scurrying up and down this stairway to heaven, and God is either at the top of the ladder or somehow beside Jacob. It's hard to tell by the text. Either way, The dream suggests that the membrane between heaven and earth is permeable and there is an intertwined, overlapping, unified creation. There's no secular reality and a separate sacred reality. Jacob's not pulled up into some other world spirituality. God doesn't sweep him up out of his mess. But God comes to Jacob in a particular place, in time and space, and affirms the promises that he made to his father, grandfather, and grandmother. God breaks in and says, I'm with you, and I will not leave you. I'll watch over you wherever you go. I will give you and your descendants this land, and all people will be blessed through you. With that, Jacob awakens, saying, Surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And he anoints his stone pillow as the place where he encountered God. On my first trip to Jerusalem, I stayed in a ritzy Catholic hotel just outside the old walled city. Our host was a dashing dramatic priest who sashayed about the hotel in a long flowing robe and collar. On our first night, he took us up to the seventh story roof to get our bearings and to identify all manner of hills and valleys where all sorts of biblical stuff took place. He pointed this way and that, naming what happened here and what happened there, including pointing to a hazy mountaintop in the distance and saying, that's Bethel, the house of God, where God appeared to Jacob. Now, quite frankly, he could have been pulling our legs. What did we know? But it all seemed plausible. And one of the overwhelming impressions of traveling in Israel is an awareness of place. On this plot of land, this happened. This place matters because this is where God called Abraham, intruded on Jacob, walked on water, or prayed before being crucified. And this land is the land that God promised to Abraham and Jacob and his descendants. Dear friends, it is hard to read Genesis and not be aware of place. The promises of God are not just about descendants and belonging and relationships. The promises are also about land. There is something physical, earthy, Tangible, homey. There's place. Contemporary Christian culture locates God in places of the heart. We are no longer bound to a specific land and place, and in turn, we often disconnect our spiritual lives from physical spaces and places. And it strikes me that there's something lost in that, something diminished. Barbara Brown Taylor writes about seeing a sign in front of a little country church announcing, come on in, God's been waiting for you, in her words. It's hard to think of anyone who believes that anymore. If God is waiting anywhere, God is waiting everywhere. That's a big change for someone who believed that God's address was the church. Now I believe that churches are where people go to learn the rituals, stories, songs, and ways of being together that help them recognize the divine presence wherever else they go. Churches are wherever people practice the way of life that makes all life holy. Another way of saying this is that the distinction between sacred and secular realms no longer holds. In Wendell Berry's words, there are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. Dear friends, place matters. We encounter God in specific places, on mountains and in valleys, on starry nights and between rocky boulders. We encounter God on this earth, in ghettos, in cathedrals. And on south suburban corners wedged between forest preserves and the new Walmart. I know that one audacious claim of Scripture is that the very Spirit of God dwells in our bodies. And I know the comfort of our tradition is that God in Christ takes up residence in our hearts. But whatever I know of God has been communicated on the earth. Whatever I know of God has come unbidden when I was vulnerable or broken or awash in gratitude, and all I could muster was surely God was in this place. And if we're lucky, that place becomes a sort of home, a place where we sink down roots. And build an altar, a stone that points to the heavens. These last months have been difficult for a variety of reasons. Not the least of which is that we haven't been able to be together in this place God engages us in all sorts of ways, maybe even through worship podcasts. But there is something lost in not being together, where 59 years ago, this community set aside a place in which to sing together, break bread and share wine, and pour out the waters of baptism. But wherever you are this morning, may God drop a ladder, even when you least expect it, even when you're a scoundrel on the run, even when you're sound asleep, and may you hear God say, I am with you and I will not leave you. I will watch over you wherever you go, for surely God is in this place.
0: God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In this time of uncertainty and worry, together with the psalmist, we cry, how long? We cry because we know that you hear our cry. We cry believing that even if we go up to the heavens, you are there. If we make our beds in the depths, you are there. If we rise on the wings of the dawn or settle on the far side of the sea, Even there, your hand will guide us. So, Lord, our God, we pray together with the whole world that you deliver us from this pandemic. We pray for cure for this ailing world, the world that you have beautifully created. And Lord, help us not to lose focus in your goodness, in our belief that justice prevails, and in the kindness and care that we get and receive from each others. We pray especially for members of our church who need your special touch, for Wyatt Whitebott, so that his lungs will be getting stronger and he may be home with his parents and siblings. We pray for Karen Sluice, as her kidney failure has led to dialysis. Please be with her. We pray for Mina Fisser, as he looks for complete healing, and many among us who are sick, who face struggles, who are lonely and depressed. Lord, help us also to rejoice in the excitement that summer brings, blooming roses, chirping birds, tomatoes and cucumbers that start to yield in our gardens, and backyard barbecues, even when our movements are still limited. Help us to find gladness in small things around us. Lord our God, help us to continue find our calling, our place, and our task. At Hope Church, in this community, in Chicago, in the United States, and the, and in the whole world, in Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.
2: this morning in whatever place you call home. Go now to love God and to love neighbor, to serve God and to serve neighbor. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his light upon you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen.